It is Good Friday in Vancouver. I hope you're enjoying the start of your long weekend. Welcome to the Canucks Hour, where the Vancouver Canucks have just left the ice following practice after tossing aside a moribund Arizona Coyotes opponent to win their fifth straight game. The odds are long, but the win was a must-have and a ton of fun to watch. And it kept Vancouver slim, but non-zero playoff hopes alive. You're listening, of course, to me. I'm Thomas Drance. Jamie Dodd is out today, but he'll be back with us next weekend. So you've just got me for an hour and also Canucks defenseman Travis Dermott, who is going to join us at some point shortly to discuss the Canucks' win streak and his adjustment to the Canucks organization since arriving in that trade the day before the trade deadline from Toronto. Now, I want to discuss a non-Canucks topic briefly, but first let's quickly pay the bills. Uh, Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca for more information. Now, we'll get to Dermot very quickly. Dermot, very quickly. Um, But I want to touch very, very quickly on the passing of Islanders great Mike Bossy, who passed away today. And his family announced the news officially. Bossy remains, and will for me anyway, at least until Alex Ovechkin passes Wayne Gretzky's record, the greatest NHL goal scorer of all time. To this day, among all NHL players with at least 700 games played, Bossy has the highest goals per game rate ever in the NHL. And of course, there's a Vancouver connection here. Bossy raised the Stanley Cup with his Islanders teammates on the grounds of the PNE at the old Pacific Coliseum in 1982. And on that night, the Islanders won the Cup. It was Bossy, who else, who scored the game winning goal. Just wanted to send my best wishes out to Mike's family, his former teammates, some of whom I've already chatted with today, and everyone around the game fans, players, officials who were touched by Mike's talent and his personality over the years. Okay. Let's change gears. Let's get into Canucks talk. We're joined now on the line by Canucks defender Travis Dermott, fresh off of practice. Travis, how how were the legs today after the 7-1 win last night? Oh, the legs, uh, they they felt okay. (laughs) It was good good to get in, um, get our legs moving a little bit, get some of that lactic acid out, um, and kind of just... uh, See what we uh, see. What we have to work on in the next three days here before we get back at it. So it was it was nice to get out there. Uh, and a little bit of a wrinkle today with Bruce Boudreau having a bit of a microphone. We don't usually hear him uh, <laughs> discuss the practice with the team. Uh, perhaps perhaps he didn't think it was your finest practice, but I'd imagine he'll take it considering the performance last night. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it was definitely not our best best practice today. Um, but you know, Bruce is good with. Uh, with understanding, you know, where, where our bodies are at, um, you know, we would have liked to have a better performance out there this morning. But, um, you know, all, all you can focus on now is uh, recovering as well as we can and come in tomorrow ready to, ready to work and have a better practice and um, get some good, uh, better vibes moving forward. So, And Travis, when last we spoke at length, which was right before your Canucks debut in Colorado uh, following the trade, you know, you hadn't really had a ton of time to get acclimated to this organization to your teammates so one more practice question now that you're on the ice with these guys every day what is there a skill or two that stand out to you you know having having spent all that time in the Leafs organization watching guys like Marner and Matthews play every day is there something that stood out to you from this new group that's just been one of those you know I'm in the show 
eyes wide open. It's incredible that that guy can do that on a regular basis and seeing it in practice every day. I appreciate it differently type thing. Yeah, uh, definitely a few, um, you know, JT Miller is a guy that, uh, you know, you play against guys like that and you're, you're hoping he's not matching up against you the whole night, putting the puck in behind you and coming down with that, uh, <laughs> that power forward stride he's got. Um, so, you know, it's, that was kind of a guy that coming in, I was, I was really kind of eager to watch and be able to have him on my side now for a change. And definitely in practice, you can see he's, he's just so explosive and, uh, just a little plays that he makes with the puck. You know, I, I kind of always thought he was, he was more of a, a strength guy and he just pushes the puck to places and it'll outpower you there. And he definitely does that. But the, some of the low skills that he has as well to, to go with it are, uh, I think what's definitely setting him apart and giving him the season that he's having this year. When you've got a playmaker on your team like JT Miller, who's seemingly seeing the game out of both sides of their head at the moment, um, does it change how you take fourth man's ice as a defender? Does it change the way you have to approach things, just knowing that there's uh, you know, a, a passer that dialed in? Yeah, I, I think you definitely, you're definitely aware of it. Um, you know, you, you play differently out there when you're out there uh, with our first line versus our fourth. You know, we have different roles. We have the same game plan, but, you know, obviously, obviously the fourth line is going to be putting it in deep uh, a little more often than the first line and the second line and stuff like that. So, um, you know, definitely when you're out there with those guys, you're you're a little more aware that they can make some different plays. Um, so, yeah, when I'm out there with, with JT, you know, he's always talking to me. He's a very vocal guy, which makes it a lot easier. And he kind of – he's good with – was talking to me about what he's thinking and what he's seeing out there instead of something I should have done. It's, it's, Oh, I saw this. How do you feel about it? And I think that's a great way to go about it. And why he's such a big leader on our team um, is because he, he can kind of work through those situations with guys. So, so efficiently, I think. Travis clubs on a five game win streak. Obviously you're getting a fair bit more opportunity at the moment. Uh, than you were in Toronto prior to the trade. How have you acclimatized to the new city, to the new organization? Um, how's it been for you personally over the course of your first month in Vancouver? Yeah, it's been great, honestly. No uh, no complaints here, that's for sure. I got my, my fiance came in a couple weeks ago. I got my dad out here right now visiting. So it's uh, it's been a treat. You know, being back out in Vancouver, I hadn't been out here um unless I was playing the Canucks in a while. Um, you know, my, my grandparents were out here a while ago, so I really loved coming out here when I was younger, um, and it's nice to kind of get back at it. Waking up to the mountains every morning is definitely something uh, I could get used to. They are beautiful. And what about the dogs? Do you have the dogs out yet? I don't. I don't know how I feel about putting them uh, under the plane, so I might have to road trip I'm out here you. early next year. We'll see. Yeah, I'm in California right now. I drove down so that my dog could come with me without uh, without checking him. I just can't do it. So I understand. Oh, I know, um, right? yeah. It's nerve wracking. Like they're family. I don't check my family. Come on. Um, <laughs> with, right with you. Uh, so you're playing a lot with Brad Hunt right now, and I'm curious because you both have very upbeat personalities, right? You're you're both very positive people. I'd say. Mm. Is this the most positive defense pair, personality-wise, in the NHL? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could go ahead and say something about that, but uh, but yeah, it's pretty funny. You know, I feel like I was 
always the guy that, uh, you know, whenever guys are coming off, I'm giving them a tap, saying, hey, great shift, great play, great great this, great that. But I feel like I'm almost battling Hunty now, where uh, when he gets to the right before me, and then I, I feel almost like an idiot saying something again. So, you know, I'm trying to, trying to pick my spots. Maybe uh, if he forgets one time when the guys come off, I'll jump in. And uh, it's kind of a tag team effort like that now, but... But yeah, it's great playing with Hunsey. You know, his his attitude around the rink really makes it a joy to be around them and uh, makes it a joy to come in every day. So, having guys like that in your team is definitely positive. Uh, so you're the hype man defense pair. You're the hype man pair. Yeah, I mean, it's always good vibes with Hunsey. That's for sure. I'm just trying <laughs> to add to it. What are you seeing, by the way, Travis, on the ice right now? I mean, you came in and your first three games with the club. You had that stellar start on that on that road trip, right? The the win in Dallas, the win in Colorado, uh, the really good effort in Minnesota, and then there's those three games lost. It's like for the nineteenth time this season, people wrote off this team, and since then, points in six straight, wins in five straight, scoring a, a dizzying number of goals in all situations. What's going right right now for the Canucks? Yeah, I mean it's. I haven't been here all year, so I haven't. Uh, I can't really make a comment on that. But just from where what I've seen over the past couple of weeks here, you know, the team's really coming together. Um, you know, where we've really figured out what works for us and what doesn't. And I think at this point, um, you know, it's been a long season. Uh, I'm sure for everyone, guys that have been here all season, guys that uh, just got traded, it's been a long season. So, you know, you, you get a feel for your team. Um, and this is kind of right when you want to be going through this. You're right when you want to kind of be clicking, everything kind of starting to make sense. Um, you get a good feel for what works and what doesn't, and I think we're just trying to go out every game and, and not try to do too much and just focus on what works um, and just try to commit to that as, as well as we can, and when we've been able to do that, it's it's worked out pretty well for us, so I think it's just trying to do that day in and day out. One last one for you, Travis, and thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it, particularly uh, given your practice schedule. With uh, with regards to the regular season, you're coming from a situation, you know, with a team in Toronto that was always in the playoffs, right? Uh, there was never any doubt that they'd be there. It was almost like the regular season wasn't what the club was ever going to be judged on. And now you're sort of in the thick of, or at least on the fringes of a playoff chase, right? A pretty classic down-to-the-wire, scoreboard-watching, nail-biting, every-game-matters, regular-season chase. Is this fun for you? Is this a departure from your pro experience to this point? How have you enjoyed it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels like playoffs started a couple of weeks ago. It's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely fun. You know, like you said, I've never really been in this situation. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be on some pretty good teams in my, in my career. So, um, you know, playoff contention, like you said, was never really a question. Usually, uh, with a nice handful of games left, we would have been, uh, we would have made our mark and, and been in, but you know, this is, this is something I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, building with a team like this, that's, that's battling hard to get in. You know, it's, it's it's everything kind of that you want. You don't want to be want to be off to the hot start early and then you know get in but not be playing well right uh, come the end of the season. So this is this is perfect for me in my mind. You know it's exciting and um, it's fun. You come in every day and it's a playoff game already. So um, you know it's it's pretty easy to get dialed in and everyone knows how important every game is at this point. So it's it's yeah like I said it's playoff time already and then. Um, you know, we like I said, we show up every day, do what do what we have to do, and then um, we'll see if we can actually make playoff time. 
Should be exciting, Travis. Thank you for joining us. Have a good Easter weekend and uh, and some good practices in the lead up to another playoff like game on Monday against Dallas. Appreciate your time. All right, thanks, guys. Talk soon. That was Travis Dermott joining the Canucks Hour to discuss, you know, being reluctant to fly your dogs, <laughs> being in a playoff chase for the first time in his career, the hype man third pair with Brad Hunt and himself, and of course, acclimatizing to a new organization and a new situation following the club's acquisition of him just about a month ago from the Toronto Maple Leafs exchange for a third round pick. Of course, that was part of a part of a corresponding deal that also sent Travis Hamannick to Ottawa. And, you know, I think was very well received in the Vancouver market. It was a deal that created a ton of cap flexibility, made the Canucks faster and more affordable on the blue line. That's the type of deal they probably need to recreate a couple more times here to get this team to exactly where they want to be. And of course, Dermott has played pretty well. Uh, outscored the opposition. The Canucks have outscored their opposition with him on the ice five on five to this point. That's what you want from a third pair defenseman. Um, lots of lots of decent underlying numbers too through his time in Vancouver to this point. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how his usage changes in the years to come. Certainly, there's some hope uh, among the organization in making the bet to acquire him that there may be an ability to nurture a top four defenseman out of you know, a, a talented uh, and and super positive young player whose development had sort of plateaued a little bit in Toronto as, you know, the natural attrition that comes from the way a really good organization functions sort of set in, right? I mean, the Leafs had graduations, guys like Rasmus Sandin, guys like Timothy Lilligren, and all of a sudden that pushed other talented players kind of out of the lineup. Uh, Dermot's got a new opportunity in Vancouver um, and and really the uh, an organization in Vancouver that also needs to begin to put that type of pressure on their own roster players in in the years to come you know that's an organizational goal for Jim Rutherford for Patrick Alvin uh, not to displace Dermot specifically but but to just create that internal competition but the Canucks were able to benefit from what had occurred in Toronto uh, and the cap math, of course, because Dermot signed to a $1.5 million deal and land a pretty intriguing young 25-year-old player who's performed very well in his first month with the Canucks. And we appreciate his time, of course. Always a good interview uh, and, and, a, and a fun guy to chat with. So let's talk a little bit about Arizona. We spent most of the program on Thursday laughing at the idea that the Arizona Coyotes could beat the Canucks. I think we were pretty harsh. I think we were pretty harsh in assessing the Coyotes as a team, right? We went through the fact that they'd been outscored by 26. <laughs> 26 goals in the 10 games leading up to last night. And following last night, that number's up to 32 goals in 11 games. Yikes. And then you see it. And then you see the Coyotes play. Let me tell you, listeners, it's bad. It's really bad. That is more like the NA, the Arizona Coyotes at this point are more laundromat than NHL club. And yet, every night in this league, it's a tough night. No matter what, even on free point night against a team that's more laundromat than NHL side. 
it's very, very important to actually bear down on your chances, to not get unlucky, to not have that puck bounce in off a stick or a skate or the knob of a goalie stick and put you behind the eight ball. The Canucks weren't great for 20 minutes, in my opinion, right? The first period, they were still firmly in control, but they weren't taking it over. And you had that moment, JT Miller gets the puck up high in the zone, and you could see his entire body language just kind of shift. Like, he was done messing around. He was done letting the Coyotes hang around here, right? There, there was no more of that. Sends that perfect pass to Alex Jason. And then, and this is a really important thing, because as well as JT Miller has played, and he was on fire last night, every pass he sent to a line mate was an absolute rope, finding them open in a good scoring spot, eyes out of the back of his head, a ridiculous playmaking performance from a Canucks player who now has 91 points. It's going to be a top 10, could get into the, not, not top five, but could get close to the top five most productive scoring seasons in the history of this franchise. And yet the big moment for me was Brad Richardson draws the penalty and it's Brad Hunt point shot. Sheldon drives tip power play goal two one Canucks lead. Never look back from there. Game was without doubt going to be a two point night in Vancouver's favor thereafter. And, you know, the big guns are so good on this team, especially right now. And we saw it last night. We saw JT Miller drive a line, elevate his line mates, get so much out of guys like Alex Chason and, and Vasily Podkolzin, who, you know, at this stage of Podkolzin's career and, and with Chason's lengthy track record, like, let's, be, let's just be honest. Like, those are no one's ideas of ideal second line forwards, right? They're not. Not at this point. Podkolzin's going to get there. No question about it. But right now, on you know one of the league's elite teams, I don't think anyone's penciling him, in, him into a top six role. And JT Miller is elevating his line mates right now to a ridiculous extent. That line was super productive again last night. Um, just just thrilling to watch it watch it unfold. And then we saw Elias Pettersson, you know, just target practice one timer on the power play. Um, vintage, a vintage finish from Pettersson from that right circle. The so-called Petter zone just hammered it home. No chance for Vegmelka. Uh, so the Canucks' young guns, or their big guns anyway, are firing, and they're firing often, and they're firing with a you know a, a ton of um, like munitions caliber. But at the end of the day, if the Canucks are going to do the impossible, right, or the seemingly impossible, which is win out basically to secure their playoff spot, right, which is effectively you know, win all seven of their next remaining games or at least drop only two or three points the rest of the way in. I mean, it's going to take that at least. Probably can only afford to drop two. So you need to win six or seven, right? Which means they'd have to finish the year on a ridiculous 12 heater. And, you know, winning 11 and 12, that sounds nearly impossible. Ridiculous. Inconceivable. But once you win five in a row... Right. All of a sudden winning seven in a row or six of seven. Hey, that's just unlikely. That's just unlikely. Maybe, maybe, maybe that could happen. There's a chance. So the Canucks have earned themselves the right for us to take their playoff chances just a little bit more seriously. Now, you know me, you know what I think about this team's playoff chances. I haven't changed my mind since November. 
I, you know, with the way the Canucks started, I said, no way they're coming back. No way they're coming back. And even as things started to fall in their favor and it started to, my collar got a little bit tight and the scrutiny, you know, amplified in the market for my stubbornness. I mean, I, you know, I just thought, look, there's too much distance here. And I still think that. I still think that. In order to make the playoffs at this point, the Canucks need to go something like 6-1, and 5-1-1. One, and, one, and they need two teams ahead of them to sag. Not just one. It's not just one. It's two. They need two teams to sag to the point where they have a gas. Like, it has to... They, they need someone to bottle it. It needs to be a gas job from a Nashville or a Vegas or a Dallas or a L.A. And, and they need two of those teams to go through that. The Kings can go 3-4-1, and one, right, and get to 96 points. 3-4-1! and one. Um, So, sorry, that was the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators can go 3-4-1 and one to get to 96 points. The Kings can go 4-2 and two and get to 96 points. In order to get to 96 points... The Canucks have have to go six and one, so the margins here are unfair. They're not. It's not an even playing field. The Canucks are behind the eight ball. They need to win and they need help, right? But we're at a point where I think it's worth plotting out what's gone right for Vancouver to win these five straight games, and what do they need to happen? What's their roadmap to make a miracle appearance in the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs? And I've done this at length over at The Athletic Vancouver. You can go read it now. It's an article called, um, you know, The Roadmap to a Miracle Canucks Playoff Birth. And I break it all down, and we'll get into more of this on the other side of the break. But the Richardson moment and the Sheldon Dries goal, right? The, the, the Alex Chase on emergence and Vasily Podkolzin's maturation into a, you know, stud middle six press in front of our eyes. Um, you know, the performance of Luke Shen holding up in a top four role. Uh, the Brad Hunt, Travis Dermott, just doing enough, right? Uh, power play X Factor, Sheldon Dries. Sure, why not? None of, none, none of this makes sense anyway. Like, let, let's go. You know, those performances, one of the main key things that this team's going to need if they're going to play games after game 82 this season, right? They're... they're, they're Big guns cannot fire alone. And part of why Vancouver's won five straight, yes, Pedersen's been dominant. Yes, Miller's been sensational. Of course, Thatcher Demko has been Thatcher Demko, right? All of that is true. Uh, shout out to the Oliver ekman Larson, tyler Myers pair, too. There was a stretch there in March where I was really concerned about that pair's play. They'd been so good throughout the Boudreaux era, and honestly, so good all season. And then there was this blip, this blip for about three weeks in March. And it was a costly blip, right? It included the, the stretch of games where the Canucks, um, you know, ended up sort of not playing very well on that homestand. Um, they rebounded a bit, but I don't think they were at their best against the Blues and those two losses. You chalked it all up at the end. The Canucks had won three of 12 games, and that was probably it. That was probably it for a team with no margin for error, but they've rebounded in a massive way. They've been maybe at their best on this latest, you know, six-game point streak that has resuscitated the Canucks season again. That's been key. Uh, the big guns will fire and fire at a heavy caliber. They'll do damage, but they can't fire alone. And one reason Vancouver's back with some kind of a shot at making the playoffs right now is 
that they haven't had to, that they've had these contributions, that Brad Richardson's been scoring and killing penalties effectively and winning draws and drawing, you know, drawing penalties, uh, that Sheldon Dries has shown up and scored a, a big goal to make sure that Vancouver secured two points, that, you know, Brad Hunt's been effective on the power play and, and maintained that level of effectiveness. They've had some of these stand-up performances beneath their star players that have helped, but they need more of it, right? You need it for seven more games, seven more games. And, and we can get into the sustainability of all of this. We can get into what it means in the long term, and we will on the other side of the break. But at the end of the day, sustainability doesn't really matter when you get to the sticky point of the season, right? I know what I think this team's team quality team's quality is. I think I know what it is. I don't think it's likely that they're going to accomplish what they need to accomplish, which is six of seven to make the playoffs. I, I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on it if I wagered on hockey. But undeniably, there is a path. There is a path. And we'll get into that on the other side of the break. You, by the way, are listening to the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. Just moments ago, the Canucks left the ice for following a practice on Friday, and Bruce Boudreaux addressed the media. Per Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre, Canucks coach Bruce Boudreaux said Bo Horvat is not expected to play Monday versus Dallas after blocking a shot versus Arizona, officially day-to-day, but if there's a break, Captain may be out of playoff chase doesn't look good well that is a dour note to begin the second half of our program Bo Horvat is Vancouver's best big game player period full stop no argument and if he's out that might be one top six injury too many it's a team already without Tanner Pearson this is a team already without Brock Besser if Bo Horvat is out And he's not expected to play Monday in a crucial game against the current holder of the second wildcard spot, the Dallas Stars. I mean, that is a tough, tough break for a team that's been remarkably healthy to this point in the season, right? The Canucks have not dealt with a wash of injuries to top players. They just haven't. And now, with them playing their best hockey toward the tail end of this season, to lose Horvat, Besser, Pearson, quick succession that is rough that is rough I'm not sure how you replace Bo Horvat obviously you have to move Elias Pettersson back to center but when you look through Vancouver's lineup last night and you look through the injuries uh, that exist both you know in at the NHL level and at the HL level to be totally frank with you uh, there is not a lot of wiggle room there are not a lot of options on who you might elevate further up the lineup do you play Dickinson Pedersen Garland like oh I don't know you're definitely not elevating Kyle Burrows like you're not playing Kyle Burrows on your top line um is it Richardson Richardson and Pedersen have seemed to have some interesting chemistry here and there uh he's played really well he's played really well is it Richardson does Richardson move up to center do you play Richardson at center and keep Pedersen on the wing where he's been so dynamic I mean, you don't envy these types of choices for Bruce Boudreaux, but injuries are part of the game, right? Every team deals with them. 
the Dallas Stars were without Miro Haskinen for three weeks because he was dealing with mononucleosis. Like, I, I mean, every team deals with this. But that puck that struck Horvat in the ankle last night, you know, a portion of the leg that's not typically very well covered by shin guards, um, that's a tough, tough bounce for this team. And, and the negative injury prognosis from Boudreaux following practice on Friday. We'll try to get you the audio before the end of the hour because this is a huge story, particularly with the way that the Canucks have resuscitated. In some ways, they're, they're slim but extant hopes of, of earning a playoff berth. To do it without Horvat, with the way that garland horvat Pedersen line has rolled, man, I find it very tough to imagine the Canucks climbing over that hill. And yet, I've found it very tough for the Canucks to, to imagine the Canucks climbing over all number, <laughs> surmounting all number of obstacles this season, and they've kept going. Uh, they still have Demko, right? They still have this dynamite power play, although Bo Horvat's been a crucial part of it. I mean, consider this. Over the course of their six-game point streak in the month of April, Bo Horvat has five goals. Five goals in six games. I mean... He took some flack earlier this season for, you know, a, a slump that sort of came out of his COVID absence, a lengthy absence. It was mentally challenging. The physical effects um, struck him harder than he thought they would. And he, he drew a little bit of criticism in the market during that stretch. But man, he has been so good for the last six weeks. He's a 30 goal scorer this year. He's a matchup centerman. He does it all. Like, he does it all for this team. He's improved as a penalty killer. He's become passable as a penalty killer for the first time in his career. He was having a really marvelous season. And, and if, if this is the end of it, that is such an unfortunate break for, a, you know, one of Vancouver's really good players, one of their really good guys. You hate to see it. And, and I do wonder if this is one top six injury too many. Um is it Lockwood that goes up? I don't think so. I don't see the offensive touch there. I think you'd be better off with Dries, to be totally honest. Maybe Sheldon Rempall on an emergency basis. I, I thought he had some uh, interesting looks in the one game that he played uh, at home uh, against Colorado. Um, or is it Brad Richardson? I mean, there's no good options for the Canucks. Bo Horvat might be one of the toughest players to replace in this entire lineup. And if he's doubtful, if he's out for Monday, man, that is a really big hill, a mountain for this, you know, club to summit. Um, there's no replacing him. There's just no replacing him. There's no options in house to replace him credibly at all, at all. Um, so that's the big news coming out of Canucks practice. And we have to dwell on it at length because, you know, it's huge. I, I sketched out earlier today. Uh, sorry, and Dave asks, and I just want to clarify, is Bo done for the season? We don't know that yet. No, the answer to this point is no. He's just doubtful for Monday versus Dallas. Officially, he's day-to-day, Purry and McIntyre, but if there's a break, Captain May be out of playoff chase. Doesn't look good. So just to clarify for Dave or any listeners who joined us midway through, Bo Horvat's status for Monday, in doubt, significant doubt, and it doesn't look good internally. That's the report from Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre. That's the news we're reacting to. Just wanted to reset this. Um, question from a listener on Oliver ekman Larson. I talked about Oliver ekman Larson's bounce back, and he asked, yeah, but everyone was saying OEL was playing with an injury. I don't know if he was injured or not, uh, we're, uh, but people were saying he looked to be playing through something. He certainly did look to be playing through something, and I, I sort of checked with him on it. 
I I understood that he was battling something, but I didn't know quite what or how severe or what he was doing to work through it. And so I took him aside at practice in St. Louis um, a couple weeks back and just asked him. I just said, look, like, I, I like to know. I don't need to know any specifics. This is off the record, but I just want to have a sense of, you know, if you're spending two hours on the table, I want to talk about your performance in a different way. And also, you know, you've gone on the road and looked like a totally different guy again. You look like yourself again. So, you know, I mean, is there something there? And his answer to me was, was you know, pretty matter of fact. I, I think he was dealing with something. I, in fact, I'm, I'm very confident he was. Um, but he noted that so long as he's in the lineup, if he's, in, if he's playing, he's healthy enough to be judged on his performance, period. No excuses. Uh, that's a mature approach from a guy who, you know, hasn't shied away from the limelight and choosing to steer uh, himself to Vancouver to use his no movement clause to land here in this pressure cooker market that we love so much. Uh, he wanted to be here. He wanted the scrutiny. And his answer was matter of fact, if I'm, if I'm in, if I'm playing, then I'm fair game. My performance is fair game. I'm not going to rely on any injuries that I'm working through or managing behind the scenes uh, in, you know, sort of explaining my performance. So I loved that answer from Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, I think that's uh, evidence of why he's had such a big impact behind the scenes this year in this lineup. Uh, obviously, you're seeing the impact of his mature game on the ice. It's not about scoring for him. He's their matchup lefty. He's done a phenomenal job. He's been a big part of their, the club's bounce back in April. Uh, loved that maturity from Vancouver's veteran left side defender. And, uh, and so I wanted to address that text because it was an interesting one. Any update on Brock or Tanner? Uh, all we have on Besser is that he had met with some specialists. Um, you know, seems like the option for now is to try and avoid surgery. Um, Tanner Pearson appears to have been skating lately, but doesn't seem to, uh, doesn't seem to be, uh, close. Maybe they'll get a surprise over the weekend and Tanner Pearson will get close to being back. Either one of them being back would be massive in the event that Horvat can't play. Right. I mean, the, the floor of Pearson or Besser at 60% even, right? Say they're not even close to what they need to be to be at their best. But just having those guys in the lineup versus dreaming on a Patan or a Dries, um, you know, or a Lockwood or a, or a Brad Richardson, I mean, I, I think the gap there is massive and, and would be huge value to this team if either of them were able to play. So... Uh, we'll, we'll have to track that over the course of the weekend. Obviously, we'll break it all down for you Monday when we come back for the Canucks hour. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a talking point throughout the day on the station on Monday and Tuesday. It's a key set of back-to-backs. And the Horvat news also dovetails into the roadmap. The roadmap for the Canucks to make it to the playoffs, which we detailed, or I detailed anyway, at length today at The Athletics. So one of the things that I thought the Canucks really were desperate for was for Bo Horvat to have avoided serious injury. So already our roadmap, the, the, the subheader was Bo Horvat needs to heal like Wolverine this weekend. Presumably there's still a faint hope that that happens despite today's negative news. Uh, doubtful isn't out, right? This isn't fait accompli. This isn't done. Horvat could yet, um, you know, have a, have some kind of additional, testing done scans done whatever whatever's being done behind the scenes to identify the problem 
sometimes with these types of hockey injuries, you have to wait for the swelling to go down enough to determine how severe the damage is and if there's any risk of further aggravation should the player play or if it's just a pain management issue. Um, This is how tough some of these guys are, right? It's like, yeah, it's messed up, but it's not going to get worse. So, so long as you can manage the pain, you can play. And in games that matter, guys will often just go like that's hockey players are so dialed, so wired to perform in that manner. Now, whether or not they should and whether or not the Canucks playoff chances are real enough that Horvat should take that risk. Um, you know, that's a very different conversation. Knowing him, though, knowing how thirsty he is to play meaningful hockey, I, I mean, I'd expect him to be in if there's any chance. Um, hockey players heal like Wolverine around the playoffs for a reason. So we'll see what news comes from Bo Horvat, but obviously wasn't the update that the Canucks were hoping for on Friday. Anyway, that part of the roadmap is now gone. I, I, I mean, I, I think. I think we've already see, heard enough about the Bo Horvat situation that we're, you know, going to have to... Uh, click accept when Google Maps suggests to us that they found us a shortcut that saves us five minutes. Like, oh, thank you, Google. And then, of course, you end up on some back road and it's useless. Um, here's, the, here's the most important thing that the Canucks need if they're going to make the playoffs here. Stop me if you've heard this before, but Thatcher Demko, pretty important. Pretty important to the success of this team. He needs to remain all but impenetrable, right? He needs to remain... One of the best starters in hockey. I I talk to a lot of talent evaluators around the league just in the course of my day. And you you end up making friends with people. And, you know, they're just people you end up calling while you're watching hockey and, and, you know, shooting the breeze with. And an increasing consensus has emerged over the course of the season, right? Thatcher Demko had never been a starter prior to this year. After the bubble, there was a, a, a thought that perhaps... You know, Demko, who'd been more of a blocker-style goalie, uh, you know, had crushed like a test. It's like he'd studied, he'd crammed for a test. But what did that mean in more regular usage and amped-up usage? And obviously he played extraordinarily well then in the 2021 truncated season and sort of won some more admirers. People thought that he was ready to be a starter, but I don't know that people expected this, right? I don't know that people expected him to be this good uh, and this durable, now right we're at we're now at a point everybody like just to just to put context into this right Thatcher Demko has never been an NHL workhorse starter before in his career he's now played 60 games he's played 60 games and he's got a 918 save percentage with off the charts numbers at five on five like his number would his numbers would be easily low low 920s in a world where the Canucks power play hadn't thrown him to the wolves with, you know, probably by surrendering eight cross-seam passes every two minutes in the first 25 games of the season. Period. Period. Like, he's been sensational. And and there's an increasing consensus emerging in, in the people that I talk to around the business that Demko is, you know, if not a top five, then the then top six starter in this league, right? Not young starter, not potential to be, but is that a top five starter? That's an incredible emergence from a, you know, 26-year-old first-time starter like Demko. Uh, Truly a a, a marvelous performance from him in his first year uh, as Vancouver's workhorse. And that's going to need to continue. And he's done it, right? I mean, in the month of April, Thatcher Demko's sporting a 935 save percentage, right? 
that's a big reason why Vancouver beat Vegas. They had a huge goaltending edge in all of those games. Uh, last night, same thing. Vegmelka is capable of stealing games. He hasn't been at his best of late, but he's capable of stealing games. Wasn't close. And and the Coyotes, I mean, Andrew Ladd beat him once uh, on on you know an absolute no doubter, but it didn't feel like there was any real duress. Like the Coyotes may maybe we're gonna get one, but they weren't gonna get two. That's how good Demko is right now. Um, he's just so important for this team. He's their MVP. He's you know, honestly, honestly, uh, to our listeners, I got to say one of the most regrettable parts of this season, right? In addition to the fact that the club traded consecutive first round picks in the, in service of constructing this team, in addition to the fact that they took on far too much term and money on a variety of contracts for players that are good even, but you know, aren't needle moving stars and are now signed through the ages of 37 and, and what that sort of does in terms of limiting the club's flexibility. Like even beyond that, Thatcher Demko has been so good this season that he's put together the type of campaign that should permit a subpar team to make the playoffs. And Hey, maybe it will yet, but it would be truly wasteful for the Canucks to miss the playoffs after getting a season like this from a first year starter. True, truly, it would just be a, it would just, we'd look back on it as a, a wasteful, um, you know, misuse uh, of just a stellar performance from the Vancouver goaltender. Uh, moving on though, to a sort of related point, I think Yaroslav Halak's going to need to play one more game. He's going to need to play one more game. I don't see any way around it. I've been looking at the schedule. I've been thinking about it. And if you ask Thatcher Demko about, you know, load management, rest, fatigue, managing fatigue, the impact of fatigue on performance, he will roll his eyes at you and say he doesn't think about it. Now, that's fine. That reflects an athlete who takes pride in being ready to go every day and being at their best regardless of how they feel seriously, right? That's, that's his focus. Um, that reflects that. But the fact is, is that there's so much thought and energy and expertise and science and work that goes into managing goaltender performance and goaltender readiness and goaltender fatigue. And in the contemporary NHL, like there's a reason we don't see any 70 game players in net anymore, right? Like there's a reason we don't see goalies start back to backs. Typically, certainly not very often anymore. It is a new day. It is a new world for how goaltenders are managed. And for Demko, you're looking at a weekend off with the exception of practice. And then you're looking at eight starts in 12 days, right? What the Canucks face beginning on Monday is a true gauntlet, right? An absolute meat grinder schedule, super condensed to end the season. They'll play back-to-back at home against the Stars and the Senators on Monday and Tuesday of next week. Then they'll fly to Minnesota on Wednesday and play the and play the Wild in Minnesota on Thursday, the, the Flames in Calgary on Saturday. Then they have two days off. Play the Kraken on Tuesday. At home, the Kings at home on Thursday, and this is crucial. They have a back to back to end the year. Thursday against the Kings on the twenty eighth, in Edmonton against the Oilers on the 29th. If the Canucks put themselves in a position for those last two games to matter, right? That's the back to back that you need Demko fresh and ready for. And as much as he's played this season, 60 appearances, he hasn't done 8-12 and 12 at any point. And in fact, the closest he came to 8-12 and 12 at any point this season 
was the seven-game homestand that didn't go well and culminated with Demko starting back-to-back games against the Flames and the Sabres, um, you know, for his sixth and seventh starts in, in days 11 and 12. And in those two games combined, and granted, those were some of the Canucks' worst defensive performances of the year. So this is not by any means a shot at Demko. It's just the facts of, of the case. Um, you know, he allowed seven goals against on 58 shots faced, right? Like, not Demko-esque performance. If your goal is to hang around in the race as long as possible, then maybe you ride your best goaltender on Monday and Tuesday. But if your goal is to actually make it, right, you need to save the Demko back-to-back card. You need to save it for the 28th and the 29th against the Kings and the the Oilers with your playoff life on the line. You have to make sure that Demko is fresh then. 7-12 and is already a big ask. 8-12? and Boy, I think that's a, I think that's playing with fire, and I think that's ignoring what has to be Vancouver's primary focus here, which is not even the playoffs, which are remote, but still, I mean, you have to manage that, and it's certainly not like the cap math of Yaroslav Halak's bonus, because if Halak makes his next twenty three saves, that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars from next year's cap. That's poof gone, a bonus overage for Halak this year, right? Neither, both of those factors have to be weighed. But the, the thing that has to govern this is how do you put Demko in the best position to succeed? Because at this point, ladies and gentlemen, even on a team that employs JT Miller and Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, you know, tons of, tons of high-end talent, Demko's the franchise. Everything has to be about putting him in a position to succeed. And for me, that means starting Halak on Tuesday. Canucks need Elias Pettersson to continue to dominate right now with the form that Pedersen is in, he gives Vancouver arguably one of the most complete two-way forwards in the game in every matchup they're in. Now, there's some exceptions. There's some games where perhaps that won't quite be the case, right? Certainly, you'd look at um, you know, a, a Matthew Kachuk in that ca- game against the Calgary Flames and say, hey, like, what about that guy? And fair enough. You know, he's definitely up there. Um, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, McDavid's, you know, not the two-way beast, but the, you know, overall offensive impact, nonetheless, is just mammoth. Um, But Pedersen is playing at such a high level that he's, you know, one of, one of the NHL's most complete two-way forwards. They need that to continue. Obviously, we've talked about Horvat. We've talked about getting just enough from your depth contributors. I want to talk about the power play, and that'll kind of end our show here. The Canucks power play has um, 10 goals in its last six games. (laughs) How ridiculous is that? 10 goals in its last six games. It felt completely automatic last night, right? Um, Two power play goals. Automatic. It was just like there was no way. There was no way anytime Arizona took a penalty or too many men penalty or whatever they did, there was just no way that they were going to be able to contain Vancouver's power play without a miracle. A miracle. Vancouver's power play is eating worlds right now for breakfast, the way you or I eat Lucky Charms. I mean, they're destroying everything. And yes, some of this is an unsustainable shooting clip. I always like to say that, right? I always get into that. The Canucks are converting on 27.8% of their um, power plays or power play shots in the month of April. Obviously, that's not going to last, but one thing you'd like to bet on, like when a team is running hot in terms of their conversion rate and it matches what they're generating, 
Well, then you tend to say, hey, look, like, you know, yes, they're they're getting fortunate, but they're also work. They're creating their own luck. They're creating their own. It's not necessarily going to regress because they're generating so much over the last eight, eight games. The Canucks power play has been generating expected goals at a rate north of 16 expected goals per hour. Five on uh, five on four. 16 expected goals per hour. To put that into context, the historically good Edmonton Oilers power play over the course of this year has generated something like nine expected goals per hour. Toronto, in and around nine expected goals per hour. Those are two of the best power plays in the league. The Canucks are generating over the past, you know, eight to ten games, expected goals at a rate almost double that. Well, that's, that's enough to make the Vancouver Canucks an enormously dangerous opponent against just about anyone they face doesn't matter how good you are if you're in the box and you're facing a team generating scoring chances quality looks the way the Vancouver Canucks are of late you're a dangerous opponent and that's where the Canucks are right now they are a dangerous opponent they may be out of runway because here's the last part of the roadmap that they need to pay off they need help they need a lot of help they can't just win their way in well maybe they can but they can't they have to win all seven most likely they're going to drop some points and when they do, they're going to need some help to win. And so some games to pay attention to this weekend while the Canucks are off. Um, you know, today the Jets play the Panthers later tonight. Always always a fun game when the, when, the, when the Florida Panthers are involved, says Thomas Drance, to the surprise of absolutely nobody. Tomorrow, though, Golden, uh, the Golden Knights and the Oilers, that's going to be one to watch. It's an afternooner, 1 p.m. game. That's a game with massive implications for the Canucks. The Kings play the Blue Jackets too. So uh, those are there'll be some scoreboard watching to engage in this weekend. I hope you have a lovely weekend with your families. I hope you have a happy Easter or happy Passover. Um, enjoy it. Find some eggs. Eat too, many ch- eat too much chocolate and come back. Join us for the Canucks Hour next week. We'll be here on game day on Sportsnet 650.